0: Spirituality or religion? Which sounds better? In our society, which would be preferred? Spirituality or religion? Well, people say religion. We don't want that. Rules and restrictions, and especially Christian religion, no, we don't want that. But spirituality, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds freeing. That sounds attractive. Well, I'm not this evening going to go into spirituality or religion in a sense, so I'll just say it's a false split. It's a false idea of religion to split it from spirituality. But what is true spirituality? What is it? If spirituality is so popular, we want that, not religion. What is true spirituality? Well, that's one of the big issues in 1 Corinthians. So let's turn to it now. Let's turn again to chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. I'm not claiming that this evening I'm going to be going through all of chapter 2. That's not the aim. We're here, as i say later, in a recap, rather than going through chapter by chapter. But uh, let me try to introduce what we're doing and why we're here. As, as we read 1 Corinthians, we find certain words keep appearing. Certain words keep being used. The words that Paul uses because the Corinthians were into them and were wrong on them. They were keen on these words, but they got them wrong. So, for example, wisdom, knowledge, power. The Corinthians thought they had wisdom, knowledge, power. They were impressed by wisdom, knowledge, power. And Paul in 1 Corinthians shows them they've got wisdom, knowledge, power all wrong. That was the subject last week in chapter 1 particularly wisdom and power. It tells us God's wisdom and power are completely different from society's ideas. But another word that keeps coming up is spiritual. If you read through 1 Corinthians, you keep finding the word spiritual. The Corinthians thought they were spiritual. Chapter 1 tells us that they had this reputation for spiritual gifts. Chapter 7, they thought they were above physical things like marriage and sex because they were spiritual beings above physical things like that. That was beneath them. Chapters 12 to 14 are all about them being proud of their displays of spirituality that they thought made them a superior sort of Christian. They thought they were spiritual. It's one of their favourite words. But were they spiritual? Chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. They needed to be corrected and taught what true spirituality is. And so that's our subject this evening. It's to help us get back into a, a series. So we were doing 1 Corinthians from something like February to July last year, and then we stopped. And before we pick up from where we left off in chapter 11, we're looking at, well, we're getting reintroduced to the letter. Last week it was the cross-shaped theme of the letter. This week, the true spirituality theme of the letter. First of all, though, let me remind you what's going on in 1 Corinthians. Could we have the table up on the screen, please? There it is, that's the one. So, 1 Corinthians addresses all sorts of very specific issues, problems happening in Corinth, and they might look quite unrelated. Unity, immorality, court cases, marriage, idol worship, men and women, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, what we do when we worship together, the resurrection. It just looks like a a bundle of completely different issues. But behind them all was this common problem They were too much like their culture. They were too much like the society around them. And we saw last week the society around them was really into self-promotion. It was a society where social climbing was possible. And so they were into social climbing and promoting themselves and grabbing for self. And especially things that were showy and looked impressive. And that got into the church. And it was behind a lot of these problems. And behind that was, they didn't appreciate the cross. They were impressed by their society instead of being impressed by the cross. Oh yes, they were saved by a man dying on the cross. But they'd been saved, now they moved on. They didn't see the cross must shape everything and there is glory in the cross. Well, This problem had distorted their idea of spirituality. So let's get into that now because it's very relevant to us because our society is like Corinthian society and it influences us too. So uh, we can finish with the table now, thank you. I want us to see four characteristics of true spirituality from chapters two and three. They're not the only characteristics of spirituality But these ones lay a foundation for dealing with the problems that come up later in the letter. And I'm going to want you to do some work on this yourselves and spot these four characteristics yourselves. By the way, I did this last week. I'm not going to do it every week. But I think it's worth doing for various reasons, including... Helping you with drawing out of the Bible what it says and seeing that Bible teaching isn't some mysterious process. Where on earth did the preacher get that from? I hope it will be a help to you. So, let's have another slide up, please. And I've got some questions for us all to consider. So, first of all, what does spirit-empowered preaching look like? Have a look in chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. And how does that link to the theme back in chapter 1, especially verse 18? Then, how can we know God's plan for the world? What's the way we can know it? What other ways are there to know it? The answer to both of those is in chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, and 12 to 14. Then, very quick question, what's the opposite to spiritual, according to chapter 3, verse 1? And last one, what is the temple of the spirit in chapter 3 verse 16 to 17 and to help you there's some other questions to help you identify what's the temple of the spirit now the big thing to help you here is none of the answers are complicated if you're getting a complicated answer you're not getting the right one the right ones are simple answers so look for simple answers but now, could you have a look around and see if there's anyone on their own and get, talk to one or two people around you, look out for anyone on their own and could we in ones or twos have a go at those questions? <laughs> Thank you. I hope that helps you with drawing out what's there in God's words. I hope the process helps it to get in and stay in your mind. And it's also not a bad thing for us to take notice of each other and work together, isn't it? Rather than just sit in our seats and ignore each other. So, each of those questions gives us the four characteristics of true spirituality here in chapters 2 and 3. And I just want to go through them now. That's the rest of the message this evening is going through those four. Um, I don't know if you noticed before answering the questions that the headings are all on the sheet and that effectively gave you the answers to the questions. But I was hoping you might not notice that before doing the questions. That's where we're going. So first of all, the Spirit makes cross-shaped people. This is chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. The Spirit makes cross-shaped people. So the question was, if I remember rightly, something like, what does Spirit-empowered preaching look like? Oh, it's back up. What does Spirit-empowered preaching look like? And chapter 2, verses 3 to 4 tells us it looks pretty weak. It may even involve fear and trembling that doesn't sound like an impressive preacher. Spirit-empowered preaching is not the same as a big personality or someone who can work the crowd or someone who knows how to move your emotions. And this continues the theme of chapter 1, verse 18 onwards. Remember, there weren't any chapter divisions originally. It's all the same subject. And chapter 1, verse 18 onwards is saying God's method is cross-shaped. God's method was displayed above all at the cross, but it didn't stop there. Ever since, his method has been what looks weak and foolish to the world, but it's God's wisdom and power. Now, the Corinthians needed this because they were like their society. Oh, these Corinthians, they were the sophisticated city dwellers. They weren't like those country Christians in other places like Galatia, you know, in their backwards villages, fairly uneducated. No, the Corinthians had knowledge and gifts and they were up to date on how to speak impressively. They must be spiritual. No, says God's words. People of the spirit are cross-shaped. People who know God works through what is weak and foolish and God specialises in choosing weak and foolish people. And this must puncture any feeling superior. Picture a Corinthian's head swelling up like a balloon. Can you picture a balloon swelling up and there's a Corinthian's head swelling up with feelings of I'm the spiritual one and I'm superior. And then picture someone's holding a, a cross with a pointy end and it punctures that balloon. The cross should puncture any feeling of superiority And that problem's not just in Corinth. Sadly, down through the history of the church, there have always been ways that people in the church have found to feel superior to other, just ordinary Christians. So in the Middle Ages, it might be being a monk in a monastery. Well, you're the spiritual one, and you're superior to just those ordinary Christians. Let's come closer to us in time. There are some churches where if you claim you've been baptised in the Spirit and you can speak in tongues, well, you're on a higher level. You're superior, you're spiritual, not just like those ordinary Christians. Oh, we say at Holywell, yeah, we know, you're talking about charismatic churches and we've got our theology better than them. We've read good theological books and we understand them. We're superior and spiritual. Or maybe let's come a little closer to home. Because look, we're here on a Sunday evening. We're not those Sunday morning only churchgoers. We're superior. We're spiritual. No, says God's words. Because the Spirit makes cross-shaped people. What on earth does that mean? People who know they are weak and foolish and not superior to anyone. Okay, so there's the first characteristic. The Spirit makes cross-shaped people. They've understood God's way of taking weak and foolish people, and that's them. Here's the second thing. The Spirit teaches reliance on God's revelation, not the world's methods. This is chapter 2, verse 6 to 16. The Spirit teaches reliance on God's revelation, not the world's methods. Now... The question was something like, how can we know God's plan of salvation? Did you manage to get the answer from those verses? The answer was, by the Spirit revealing it to us. Verse 9 is fairly well known, and a lot of Christians can quote, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. It's sometimes said, for example, in funerals, as if it was about heaven. But actually it's not, it's about what God was doing then at that time in history. Jesus dying on the cross and salvation being revealed and it doesn't just say, we can't know. It says verse verse 10 that God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. And then verse 11 to 14 give us a sort of process by which that happened. It says verse 11... God's spirit knows God's plan. Of course, he's God's spirit. Verse 12, and the spirit has revealed that message of the cross to the apostles. And the apostles spoke that message. We've got it written in the Bible. But the spirit's work doesn't stop there. You know, 2,000 years ago, Bible written, job done, spirit goes back to heaven. No, because it then says in verse 14, the spirit works in hearts so people accept the message of the cross. We can hear it, but we won't accept it unless the spirit works in our hearts. Then it says, what other ways are there to know God's work, God's plan? What other ways? This was a trick question before anyone shouts out and embarrasses themselves. Did you spot the trick? The answer is, chapter 2 is saying very definitely there are no other ways. There are no other ways to know God's plan other than the Spirit revealing it. Chapter 2 is very definite in saying human wisdom and methods won't work it out. And again, the Corinthians needed this because they thought their society's philosophy And skills of public speaking were the way for the church to be successful and impressive. No, says God's word, no one has discovered God's plan any other way than the Spirit revealing it. And Paul says to the Corinthians, now come on Corinthians, you have got something better than society. You've got the Spirit's revelation." So, Corinthians, why are you chasing after society's ideas and fashions? How silly when you've got something better. Now, there are lessons here for us too, as you might imagine. The problem isn't just in Corinth. So, some people today say, I wonder if you've heard this, that church is strong on the Bible and teaching, that church is strong on the Spirit. Yeah, you know, and you could probably picture the types of churches there's a Bible teaching church, strong on teaching. There is a church that's really into the spirit. It's a false split. It's a completely false split. It's a bit like this. Jack says, I'm I'm into Nigella Lawson's cookery books. I really like her cookery books, but I wouldn't want Nigella Lawson to turn up and tell me how to cook. No, but I like her books. Jemima says, I've got no time for Nigella Lawson's books. I don't want books. Books are restrictive things. I want to be free, but I really like Nigella Lawson's approach to cooking. It's just silly, isn't it? It's silly. You don't split Nigella Lawson teaching how to cook from her books. And don't split the spirit from his way of working. Through the Bible that he breathed out. Here's another lesson from this one, another lesson we need. Don't think gospel work depends on getting the right vibe and having great branding and having a wonderful image and having really gifted people. And certainly don't think gospel work depends on manipulation. When I was a student... Went to the Christian Union, every so often we'd have an evangelistic event and quite often at the end of that event, people were pressed to make a decision. And as they were pressed to make a decision, music was played quietly in the background to give a certain emotional feel. Why? Well, it's the world's method of manipulating people. You can try to push them towards something, you can try to make them feel a certain way. 1 Corinthians 2 is saying God's work just doesn't operate like that. God's work operates through simply telling the message of the cross and praying for the Spirit to work. It's as simple as that. Telling the message of the cross simply and clearly and praying for the Spirit to work in hearts. If you want to add anything else in, the only other thing to be added in is not impressive image and style, but lives that match the message of the cross. That's the only other ingredient. Okay, so we've had the Spirit makes cross-shaped people. The Spirit works through God's revelation, not the world's methods. And then the third one, the Spirit makes us different from the world. This is chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Now, the question was a very straightforward one, What's the opposite to spiritual? And it was a very easy one to spot in verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, worldly is the opposite to spiritual. Now, I must admit there's a little difficulty because different Bibles translate this differently. You might have had being of the flesh is the opposite to spiritual. Or carnal is the opposite to spiritual. Depending on your Bible translation, but it all means the same thing. Because it all means, like humans without God. Like humans without God, fleshly or worldly is the opposite to spiritual. And if you think about it, it's fairly obvious. Because the Spirit of God is often called the Holy Spirit. And what does holy mean? It means different for God. Holy means different for God. And so, of course, he creates people who are different from the world. And the Corinthians needed this. We've already heard the Corinthians were just like their society. They had their society's values. And at the same time, they thought they were super spiritual. And Paul is very blunt with them in chapter 3, verse 1. He's saying, that's a contradiction. You can't be super spiritual and like your society. It just doesn't go. Well, there's obviously a lesson here for us, isn't there? Spiritual means different from the world. But chapter 3, verse 1 to 4 tells us a bit more. It gives us a bit more about what it's like to be different from the world. What is your mental image of a worldly Christian? Can you in your mind now picture a worldly Christian? I wonder what your worldly Christian looks like. I'll make a suggestion. Kira wears the latest fashions and she knows what music is top of the charts at any one time. Kenneth would look at home in the 1950s and he never listens to anything more modern than Beethoven. Right, which one is worldly? Kira or Kenneth? Yeah, because I suspect you, you can see what I'm getting at in terms of oft, often a mental image of a worldly Christian. The answer is we don't know. We don't know yet which one is more worldly, Kira or Kenneth. You see, Kenneth might feel quite superior to Kira. He might keep aloof from her. He might, yeah, feel like he's a more spiritual Christian than her. And he might look unworldly. But his attitudes are worldly. You see, in chapter 3, Paul says to the Corinthians, You're worldly. But as we read on, we discover his evidence. What's his evidence? Verse 3. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Do you see how their worldliness came out? In attitudes of jealousy and quarrelling and splitting into groups that followed big personalities. And sadly, very often in the church, there's been that attitude. Including in people who look very unworldly, according to our stereotyped image, images, that they can still have. This is my leader, and this is my group. Now, this is my circle, and we're better than your circle over there. Now, before we move on to one last um, character of true spirituality, I want to put together something from the first and the second and the third. So the first, what was it? Cross-shaped people. Not impressive people, but cross-shaped people are the work of the Spirit. The second was, the Spirit uses, works through God's revelation, not the world's methods. And the third is, the Spirit produces unworldly pe- people. Including, they don't have this characteristic of the world, they split off and go after big personalities. Now, I just want to put those three together to give one of the things I'm always trying to guard against. The church is in danger when big personalities and gifted people and people who can speak very impressively don't teach the Bible. Because when they've got big personality or giftedness or they can speak impressively, it's often not noticed that they're not teaching the Bible. And I've seen this myself in very serious evangelical churches where you think they would know better. But someone has spoken, and they've spoken so impressively. And people go away impressed and seemingly not noticing it hasn't come from God's Word. So please remember what true spirituality is and be on your guard Let's have one last way, uh, uh, characteristic of true spirituality. Fourth one, the Spirit makes us value the church, not be individualistic. We jump on to chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Now, the question was, what is the temple of God in these verses? And I gave you some sub-questions to help you work it out. Did you manage? So, when we read the Bible, we often jump straight to me as an individual reading it and forget Well, 1 Corinthians was written to a church. And when he says you in verse 16, he's meaning the you he's writing to, the church. Remember chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth. So, we should first expect this is probably about the church because that's who he's writing to. Then we get another clue to help us. Verse 16, don't you know that you you yourselves are God's temple? Well, the temple was a building. Has Paul spoken about a building recently? Yes, verse 10. Paul says, I'm the one who laid the foundation for this building. Then someone else built on top of the foundation. What building did Paul build in Corinth? He wasn't a bricklayer. I know he may have been a tent maker, but it wasn't the tent, it was the church. That's the building. And then there's another clue. What is this temple of the Spirit? Verse 17, the Corinthians are in danger of destroying this temple. How? Well, chapter 3 is all about divisiveness. They're quarrelling and they're dividing. What temple may that destroy, if they keep going like that? The church. So, I know the Bible elsewhere. In fact, 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, no, chapter 5, says individual Christians are the Spirit of God's temple. But here in chapter 3, it's the church, it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Corinthians needed this. The Corinthians needed it because they were so individualistic. I'll give you an example. Chapter 14, chapter we'll come on to maybe in a month's time or so. The Corinthians were into expressing their spirituality in an individualistic way. That's the problem in chapter 14. To put it bluntly, they were into showing off. And they were into showing off how spiritual they were as individuals. And the message of chapter 14 is that it should be all about building up the church, not showing off how spiritual you are. The Spirit is into building up the church. In chapter 14, we read they wanted to do their own thing. They mustn't be constrained by rules in the church. How restrictive! They're free beings of the Spirit. And in chapter 14, it says, actually, you must be constrained by rules in the church and do things properly because the Spirit is about building up the church, not you showing off as an individual and looking good. The Spirit makes us value the church, not be individualistic. Too often, people who have a a reputation for being spiritual are individualistic. There was a Christian writer in the 20th century who wrote books that were fairly influential. His name was A.W. Pink, Arthur Wilkinson Pink. I've got some of his books. They're good. I've benefited from them. But I'm a bit suspicious of him. I'm a bit suspicious of him because... He went off to live in the Outer Hebrides off the coast of Scotland, that's okay, but he went off there to get away from everyone else and he kept himself to himself instead of mixing with other Christians. So I scratch my head at the bits in his books that are good because I think that's not a good sign of spiritual health to get away from other Christians because the spirit is into building up the church. Some people have this attitude, well it's just me and Jesus and I mustn't be constrained by other people or the church with all of its restrictions and rules. Well that's not a good sign of spiritual health or of being filled with the Spirit. Because 1 Corinthians says, the Spirit is concerned for building up the church and so will you be if you really have the Spirit. Well, there we've had four characteristics of true spirituality. The Spirit makes cross-shaped people. The Spirit works through God's revelation, not the world's methods. The Spirit makes people who are not worldly. And the Spirit makes us value the church, not to be individualistic. Our society is very much like Corinthian society. And so we have to watch out for the same dangers and problems as the church in Corinth had. And so we need 1 Corinthians' message of what is true spirituality. Including this one. I've got one more. There are only four on the sheet. But I've got one more, and I'm only going to briefly state it for you. But it is so important. I'm just going to end on this one. True spirituality is all centred on Christ. I've actually not said enough on this. That's a, that's a failure of this message. But true spirituality is all centred on Christ. So, we've heard it makes cross-shaped people, but the cross isn't just a principle. The cross is all about glorying in a person. Chapter 1, verse 31, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And the Spirit works through God's revelation. But God's revelation is all about, chapter 2, verse 8 says, the Lord of glory crucified. And the Spirit makes people who are different from the world. But they're not different from the world just so they look odd. They're different from the world so they can be like Christ. And the Spirit makes us value the church. And what is that church? Chapter 3, verse 11 says, it's built on Jesus Christ. He himself is the foundation. True spirituality is never, ever, ever separate from Jesus Christ. There's the key characteristic. If you're really spiritual, he will always be your focus and your delight and your glory.